0: Hello and welcome, everybody. Great to have you here. Uh, this is Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do on officehours.global, our first hour general discussion of production and IT-related topics, where we answer audience submitted questions. The second hour, typically a deeper dive into the topic. Today, we're going to continue our week of brainstorming. So uh, if you have ideas about the shows you want to see in the future, this is the day for you. Your ideas will be put in a list, and we are going to continue to have you help us us figure out what we're going to talk about in the future so all that said mitch what have we got for our first questions today thank you bill first in john nichols from concord
1: california what system does office hours use to run isadora is it dedicated or shared how stable is the system and do you update the settings every show or is there a set and forget configuration
0: we're going to alex Lindsay. We we're glad to have back today after
2: some rainstorm problems Power power. <laughs> so I moved to the moved to the office here. Um, the uh, yeah, so the um, my understanding of how this works is that basically we have five systems that are running Isadora, um, or one system is running Isadora, and I believe that that is. I, I I'm not sure wh- whether it's on a, a Mac Mini or a small p or on a p- PC. Someone might be able to jump into the event chat to d- to talk about that or into the panel chat. Um, it is it is fairly stable. I mean, we definitely push it harder than most people do. So I think that it does have its own little idiosyncrasies here and there um, because it's, um, but given what we're doing, it's a very stable platform. Um, It is also, um, uh, it's not getting changed every single day. Most of the time it's, we kind of, new things get pushed in over the weekend. And uh, unless there's a fix that needs to be done, it usually is done. um, New stuff is kind of tested over the weekend and then then it moves into the system uh, the following week um so that's the that's kind of how it how it works we are going to have the actual team come on in the near future and uh, give us a breakdown of, of exactly how it works. We've talked about updates about, here's what we've done, here's what we've done, but I think it's time for us to back up and explain what it actually is again, because there's enough new people. Um, and uh, Chad lets me know that uh, Isidore is running on a PC, but it runs on both. So um, uh, next question. And for the that, oh, that, that's, that, that, that's, for, that's for Phil.
1: <laughs> next question <Hey. laughs> from Douglas Carmichael. I know we got that sorted out. The New York City public school system is banning ChatGPT, citing "Quote negative impacts on student student learning." Unquote and "quote safety and accuracy." Unquote concerns. Considering that AI will be more pervasive in the future, are blanket bans an example of fighting a losing battle? Alex is going to start us up here. Alex,
2: yeah, hundred <laughs> like percent. Like there's no way to there's no way to stop this. And, and the thing is, is that writing research papers is dumb anyway. So, it, like the the idea of writing these little papers. Um, students should be learning how to build media in a modern way not the old way i mean i i've just finished a paper so i can't say that i've never written a paper but i i've only written probably two things longer than three pages in 30 years you know like everything's run on decks (laughs) decks and demos Um, unless you're going into academia or research or the government you'll never write more than a couple pages again you know and so um, or you're going to be a writer um, and so the thing is, is that, you know, the, what ChatGPT is replacing is, the, is, is basically busy work, which is what most of the home, I watch my kids write these things. It's just, you know, they, can, they would do better <laughs> to, to do presentations about it as opposed to doing, I mean, it would get them further along as far as their human development if they were doing presentations and not um, writing, you know, papers.
1: The chill. Yeah, I agree. It is a losing battle to stop, because where do you stop? Do you you eject the art department for mid-journey? Uh, do you uh, get rid of other things? Um, the only thing that I that I I recall from my old days of writing uh, papers was that you had to provide uh, the appropriate credits at the bottom, so who you were sourcing as the information. And I don't think Chat GPT will do that. But maybe somebody, a clever person, could write an app that runs on Chat GPT that can analyze a Chat GPT answer and
0: determine whether or not it was generated by the computer. Courtney Gooden. Well I think that's exactly what happened here. I think a teacher found a piece of software that could analyze uh, word and text and find out if uh, somehow trace the sources. It's probably another AI that tells you whether it's an AI that's responding. but however, they did show and I can't remember the name of the software their' software you could use to run your chat GPT responses through to deplagiarize them. That would, uh, it goes through and it substitutes words for other words and changes it around enough so that it makes it unrecognizable as a chat GPT uh, generated. So, yeah, there's not going to be a way to outlaw it because there's certainly ways around it that are also AI based. Jesse Kester.
3: I I do think that academia moves slowly. I do think that they will uh, take their time integrating uh, artificial intelligence into their workflow. But in the early days like this, from an uh, an academic standpoint, it makes absolute sense to do a blanket ban as they bring their teaching staff up to speed on how to identify artificially intelligently generated uh, documents. So a blanket ban makes sense. It will go on for way too long, I believe but it uh it, it it seems uh it seems like a rational choice at this stage in ai
0: sky gleason
4: i was listening to david holtz the the founder of uh, midjourney the other day and his comment about if you were to legislate anything about ai it would be a matter of just minutes if not maybe a 3 months at the at the least before somebody would be able to circumvent it so yes i what I'm hearing is the opinion I'm getting is we're trying to figure out how to use this, but until then the administration wants to keep their systems in place Alex Lindsay, you know one of the things that that um, we say in my family a lot is it's not what
2: you know it's how will you google and and I think that I would be much I'd feel much better about a school figuring out how to teach kids to harness chat, chat GPT and error correct it and figure out those things. In, you know, and figure out how to use all these tools. I would rather see kids writing whole papers that still have to be valid that are in chat, that are assisted by Chat GPT, assisted by Mid Journey, <laughs> assisted by all those things and learning how they all work. But they still, I mean, the thing is, is everything, they're still accountable for everything that goes into it. And Chat GPT is not accurate many times. So they would still, I, I have a feeling that they might end up doing more work on a Chat GPT driven report than they would on a, one that they wrote themselves because they have to check every word and cross-check it to make sure that it was still accurate. So, I'm not. I'm not certain that. Uh, I'm not certain. That, I, I think that, that would, I would feel better about that because this is what we're going to be doing. We're not going to be, um, you know, doing stuff from scratch for much longer.
0: I'm interested. My two senses is that I'm interested in the nuggetization of information. I find that really useful in a lot of cases to get small things. But I also appreciate the treatise length and or novel length work. And I'm wondering if we're pushing people away from thinking in those long arcs, what a novelist does in terms of themes and variations and flashback and flash
2: forward in a long story. I think, I think it's I think it's fine. For people who want to do that, I just think that that's a small percentage of the of the world <laughs> that wants to t- that wants to, to write like that, mm-hmm. and that they should you know continue to have classes. And when, if they love to write, they should be writing. It's just that right now the problem is we have this general purpose school system that basically says you have to write long treaty papers even though you have no interest in it and you'll never do it again. You know, like, you know, and so the thing is, is that we're, but we're gonna force you to do it for the next 12 years, you know? And, and the thing is, is that um, that is, is where it's going to end. You know, it, it is going to end whether people like it or not. Like we're gonna stop doing that where we force kids to spend their high school years, especially doing things that they don't, they just aren't interested in. They're never gonna use it. Like me writing long, Fiction, when I was in high school, was a waste of time. I don't even like to read it, <laughs> like, you know. Like so, so the thing is, is that I'm never going to write it, um, you know. And and so the thing, and and so the uh, it was, but it it was just it was just burning my time up in the atmosphere, you know, as opposed to doing what I love to do, which was try to set physics records and do chemistry and do math and do things that I was interested in, you know. And and I think that we need to, you know, what's going to happen in the future is that education is going to become more specific. You know, and kids, you know, it's not gonna be, we're gonna test you like some things. And then at, when you're seven or eight or nine, just tell you which way you're gonna go. We're gonna, I think we're gonna get to a point where we're gonna realize that people need to know a core am- amount of information. And then I'll give kids a lot of, they still have to put the work in, but they can put the work in, in the direction that they're most interested in. And we have to stop using up their most valuable time, which is before they're 18 is when their brain is the, is, is, uh, is at its best. And we just ruin it (laughs) with school (laughs) because we just we just we just put all this stuff into their head that they don't need anymore. You know, that they can easily Google and not allow them to use that that superpower to learn the things that they love. Courtney. Yeah. Be a good topic for educators tomorrow. But, uh, uh, you know, the reason that uh,
0: they always taught this in school and made you write those long papers is to teach you the skill of how to gather information and present it in a coherent way well-edited way. And if that skill is no longer required because of AI, you know, it's like training somebody in the proper use of a buggy whip, you know, we really don't need that skill anymore if it is so well supplanted by uh AI now, and if everyone has access to it, you know, if power goes out, <coughs> Alex, uh, you may have to write your own uh, summary. Yeah, if the power goes out, I'm not going to be—I uh, won't have a
2: word processor. <laughs> I, I'll just be talking, you know, like it's like. Yeah. Mitch, so. what are your thoughts?
1: I, you know, I'm hearing this over and over again. I, again, back in high school, we we learned everything by rote. And our ability to memorize things was the basis of our education. And nowadays, it's so much easier just to Google things if you need it. What you really need is context and reasoning. And as Alex was pointing out, if you teach uh, uh, students what that means, uh, that uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, then what was the significance of that as opposed to just remembering
4: that date? Sky? Again, yeah, I referenced my notes back from David in the um, mid-journey. He actually has a weekly concept called Office Hours, ironically enough, and on Wednesdays at noon. So one of his quotes from himself was in creating a community, if I'm, I'm not very good about people that like to draw, but I am helping people that like to tell story. So, yeah, I, I like him immediately, but he, he's, he's deconstructing and giving platform to people that – have an inner image, but they don't have the skills, and so this is—I'm just watching his um, community just race forward globally on side of on top of the uh, the platform of Discord, and how all of those elements, those uh, stars aligning, so to speak, as uh, John Ilson would say. So this is the 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 rush to being creative and giving the opportunity for people that have no ability to draw a straight line. Jesse.
3: I think this academia conversation goes beyond second hour and we should, I know that there's some talk about building other shows around the office hours model. And I think that we should absolutely consider this topic. I ask all the panelists, if, if I was expecting you to commit to a 12 year project, what returns would you need guaranteed at the other side of that 12 year project?
2: Interesting. Alex, you want to finish things up for us? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that um, we just have to look at when we look at again, the way the world's gone. Most of us went to school when uh, you couldn't Google anything, right? <laughs> so there wasn't anything there. So that was the history is that you had to memorize those things and you had to know them in real time. You couldn't search for them. Um, you know, you couldn't find them. And again, I I remember the things that I'm most interested in because I'm doing them all the time or I'm paying attention to them all the time or I'm, you know, I listen to a lot of books. So it's not that I'm not interested in learning. I'm just not interested in you know, packing away information that I might need someday. I just need to ab- absorb that information when I'm ready for that information. And we're now at a point where we can do those things very, very quickly. And, um, you know, and again, I think that chat GPT is not not there yet, but I, you know, I looked at, you know, I've been asking it to write little scripts for me as well. And it writes them incredibly well. There's always like four errors that you're like, oh, that's not gonna work. <laughs> but 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 for the most part, it's like, there's a lot of things about structure and everything else. And I think that, it is exactly what Sky was talking about. Was a little, I was listening to that Office Hours um, a little bit. And I love the idea of greatly reducing the distance from an idea to an execution. You know, and I think that that, is, that was something that was brought up, an idea, you, know, you, can cre- you can be creative without being skilled. And I think the people who are skilled are very worried because they spend a lot of time worrying about that skill. Um, and they're frustrated that someone without skill will be able to create what's in their mind you know, um, effectively, and and that. But I think that the question is: is do we? You know, I think that there is a reason. Like, I don't need to have cooking skills, but I enjoy it. You know, I don't need to have riding skills, but I enjoy riding. <laughs> you know, like horses. You know, and so, so the thing is, is that we just because we don't need them doesn't mean no one will have them. It just means that we don't need to make sure that everybody has them because it's it's, it's not clear that they'll be needed. Courtney. Yeah, we didn't have chat GPT when we were in
0: school, but we did have cliff notes. So perhaps we can consider cliff notes to be, you know, the GPT to be the cliff notes of the 21st century. And maybe uh, it's probably going to put cliff notes out of business.
2: Cliff <laughs> notes were the best. Let's go to the
0: next question.
1: <laughs> next question from John Nichols in Concord, California. Do you see Isadora being part of a Pelican 1510 studio kit? Alex?
2: Yeah, I don't see any reason why you couldn't have Isadora as, as part of that. I think usually it's part of a larger system, but um, as I look at, you know, some of the automated things that we might want to do, I think that, um, you know, it's a, it's a relatively um, uh, light package um, that can be run on a lot of things. So I, I, I definitely think that it's potentially part of that. I was, um, we were talking about learning new things, but I, I uh, have been thinking about things I can do in Isadora related to, you know, motion graphics and so on and so forth that, that I might want to add to shows. It's pretty cool. Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael asking, Audio-Technica has introduced the ATH-M50X STS Streamset headset with a condenser mic attached. I've been looking at the Blue Sona mic on an arm, but being a former headset user using a buyer, Audio-Technica's offering looks appealing. Thoughts? Courtney
0: has some thoughts here. Courtney? I took a look at this and read the specs on it. Uh, it. I don't know why they necessarily call it the stream set. It really doesn't stream itself. It's a headset with a mounted uh, condenser boom microphone. It does come in uh, two different versions. One is an analog version that... Uh, Terminates in a quarter inch or eighth inch plug for the headsets and an XLR for the microphone, which can be used with a professional situation, and it comes in a USB version, which terminates in, a, of course, USB, but it does have an, the USB version has an interesting uh, feature in that it generates side tone locally and feeds it back into your headsets with a volume control on it. So you can control uh, how you hear yourself rather than coming back over the USB. So you hear the no delay uh, side tone in your ear. So that's a good feature. Uh, and it supposedly has a very good a to d converter that works at either a 48 or 96 kilohertz sample rate. So it looks like it'd be good. It's, of course, a big over-the-ear headphones or the boom microphones. If you're on camera, it, it may not be too attractive.
2: Alex? Yeah, I think that I, I know. I sound fu- it's funny for me to say that. I've just forgot my in ears. That's why I'm wearing these over the ears today. Uh, I, I get that the that the over the ears is a fad in the gamer industry, but it's the only place that it's a fad, and I don't think it's going to continue to be the thing that everybody does because, you know, it's not what I would broadcast with normally. I know I'm saying that with them over my ears right now, but. I know I, I can see the irony, but I just didn't have the other ones. So anyway, I don't think that I would normally do over the years for a broadcast.
0: I, oh, next. Oh, Mitchell Hill wants, Hill wants to weigh in. Mitchell,
2: I, I'm sorry.
1: Dude, I couldn't help myself, Alex, but uh, I don't know if it's the headphones or the hat that's bothering me the most.
0: <laughs> it's the combo headphones and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I out <laughs> <laughs> Hat on the outside or the inside? Never the outside. He gets a brownie. Anyway. <laughs> next question.
1: Ike Potter from Hanover, Germany, uh, has a question. In Zoom on a Windows PC, I'm using two webcams, a Brio and an Insta360 link. Switching from a well-framed Insta to Brio and back to Insta results in a zoomed-out picture. Is it possible to permanently store the Insta frame as default without the app? Alex.
2: Yeah, this seems to be a problem with both the Brio. My guess is is that your... um, your Brio is all the way out as well. And if you had zoomed in on your Brio, you'd have the same problem on both of these. And this has to do, we think, with a, it's the request, um, it's when it requests full frame, when, when you're getting full screen, you probably don't see it if, you were in, if you're not in full gallery, but if, or if you're in gallery, but if you're in full frame, it's gonna ask for the full resolution. And it seems to be a behavior that when Zoom makes that, a, a many webcams that are zoomed in, will immediately pop to the wider um, place that they, that they go. And that seems to be some kind of UVC thing. It's not something that Zoom is necessarily doing to a specific camera. It's making that request, and all the cameras seem to be reacting the same, the same way. I'm not sure if Zoom can fix that or not.
0: Allie, uh, Courtney had some thoughts. Yeah, Alex is right. I think what happens is when you switch devices in Zoom, it requests a manifest from the USB device, and that manifest will tell it what the maximum, what its resolution is, and it'll set it to that maximum resolution. That's probably what causes it to reset. Oh, that makes some sense. All right. Uh, next question.
1: Alex Lindsay from Novato, California, and also right here on our panel. Have the panelists been learning anything new in the new year?
4: Ooh, we got, that's an interesting question. Sky, take it away. You got it first. I was at a conference once and a gentleman tapped me on the forehead and he said, you need to be thinking less. And then he tapped me on the chest and listening more. And he bent with my heart or my gut as as the phrase goes. So yes, in the last, what, six days, I've been really listening to my heart about what is discord and what does it mean to the future of, of communications and connection? So I've been learning and Diving deep into that as a platform, and I think it's going to be the new Facebook of in the in the sense of communications and connections with with humans and interaction that way. But I'm also I'm diving deep into the whole AI of the creative concept. I've I joined not just Mid Journey and been playing with that on a daily basis, but I've also there's a couple of other platforms uh, that are using this AI for creatives and lit, learning and listening into how they're adding some, maybe some knobs, maybe some graphic ability, uh, some, some word, how do you add words to get the graphics that you want? And so I'm, those are the things I'm practicing. Mitchell.
1: I remember when Comp, uh, CompuServe came along and it was the beginnings of the internet and then AOL and of course the rest of them. And um, it just, it sort of snuck up on me and I didn't really anticipate the significance of living with it. And in this case, uh, A.I. is going to have a, big, a significant, probably equal uh, change in our lives um, as we move forward and it becomes more pervasive in, in our uh, in everyday things that we do. So I, I'm, I'm contemplating what A.I. is going to mean for us all uh, moving forward into the future.
0: Alex.
2: Yeah, I, I I was thinking about this because yesterday, I'm not very good at learning things to learn them. As you may have guessed from my comments at school, I'm not, I'm really good at like, I have to get something done and now I will absorb how to make something happen. And yeah, uh, just a couple of days ago, I had to, someone ask, hey, can you just throw some visuals with that audio, with that music? And I was like, sure, I can do that. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea how to do that. So, I mean, like, I, I can do it with, I could do it with motion or After Effects or I could build something, you know, out. But I was like, I just need a visualizer to do something. And I learned a lot about visualizers over the last couple of days. And um, I, I, uh, I, it was just this kind of like, wow, there's this whole little world that I don't know about, you know, and I downloaded a bunch of them because we had talked about them at some point in time. and um, And just realized like how much and how much you could, Dig into that. And then, and then you, then what I did, of course, is got a visualizer to export some stuff. And then I brought it into Resolve and then I added Fusion nodes to it. And then I, you know, made it more <laughs> than what, what the original designer had. Um, and, uh, but, but I, uh, but I think that it's really interesting that. And then, of course, I've been really digging into the, you know, the um, building up an infrastructure of how do you get stuff in and out of with Zoom ISO, with, Uh, memo live with, you know, how do we build shows both in memo live and with, uh, um, with the hardware. And so, um, so it's been, it's been those two things that I've been kind of really in the last two weeks have been really digging into deeply. Courtney. I'm with
0: Mitch. I'm trying to, uh, uh, brace myself for the influx of AI spam phone calls. Uh, and I think, you know, Google missed it. They killed duplex too early. And what we need to do is have a digital AI assistant that answers every phone call and pretends to pay attention and answer the questions, the stupid questions that they ask and give them phony information and send them on their way. And uh, and that would
2: you'd never have to deal with another
0: spam call again.
2: That is a great. When are you going to write that app? (laughs) Mitchell, what's up?
0: I don't know
1: what to do about that because then I'm going to have to check my credit card statements and see what the chat's been up to. But um, another thing that I'm trying to dig deep into is expressions inside After Effects. It's fun to uh, master, not 100%, but I'm pretty good with After Effects, but then find out there's a whole different world uh, that uh, uses mathematics to describe things that are happening and interactions. And it's, it just completely makes it a new thing. And to Alex's point, it probably is a good for a visualizer
3: source, too. Jesse Kester. Uh, if you're having fun with expressions, definitely jump over to Motion because they built that in a much more user-friendly
0: way. And I would argue that the reason you are seeing us as panelists and maybe the reason that we have so many producers in the background writing questions is because we are all addicted to learning something new. I have learned so much new from office hours just from showing up here. And I think that's one of its predominant draws, including the back end staff. I think that's why everybody back there is working because they all want to learn something new every day, too. And it's been fabulous for that. So thank you, Alex, for creating this. Let's move on to the next question.
1: Ronnie Hofsey from Tromso, Norway asks, in Windows, we have vMix as a very good software-based switching solution. On Mac, we have some older ones and some newer ones. If not using OBS, what are the biggest concrete differences between the
2: most popular ones? Alex? I think at this point, that the three most popular ones on the Mac not, that aren't OBS are probably Wirecast, uh, Memo Live, and Ecamm. Um, I think that uh, as far as, the Wirecast is, you know, has, has been around the longest uh, on the Mac. I think, Ecamm might be close, um, but they have been around both for a long time. Um, and it's, it has a history of being a little buggy. I'm not sure how a lot of us kind of moved away from it because we just kept on having idiosyncrasies. Um, but I, so a lot of us haven't used it recently. Um, it, then the other two are Memo Live and, and Ecamm. And I think that, you know, I think Ecamm is a, a little bit easier to learn quickly, and it is also less expensive. Memo um, Live tends to be a little geekier, uh, a little bit more expensive, and then also it just has a lot, a lot more tools and a lot more. Um, but it takes a little bit more lift to learn how to use it. And we're going to be doing some, and as i will address the question coming up, we're going to learn how to use it a little bit more um, uh, with Oliver uh, in the in the coming weeks um, because it's uh, it just has a, it's, it's a very deep program and it and it doesn't work like any other video editing program, live video editing program that that we've seen. Uh,
0: next question.
1: Jack Cannon from Phoenix, Arizona, asked, any tips for using the Stream Deck with Memo
2: Live to trigger layers? Alex? Follow this uh, <laughs> Follow this line. We, I don't have any tips for you right now, but what I will say is that we are um, talking to Oliver about doing, or Oliver was talking about it, I think, even uh, yesterday, about doing some labs um, in uh, Memo Live. So we're going to work on getting those scheduled in the next couple weeks.
0: Absolutely. Next question.
1: Sky Gleason from Seattle, Washington asking Has anyone used Descript for editing and creating content?
2: Alex? I had a partner uh, using uh, Descript uh, recently, and they were super impressed. They were like, have you ever seen this? And and, uh, and so it's definitely something that we're going to take a, more of a look at. Uh, there's a couple things that it can do, of course. What it can do is to build you a transcript, let you edit your, just by build, just by cutting the transcript. So you see all the text and you just cut the text that you want to, to go in, and it'll at least build you an assembly that makes that all work. It does a lot of other things. For instance, you can build a model of your voice and then type in things that you wanna add if you're trying to fix something in inside of your, dialogue so there's a lot of pretty interesting tools we're definitely going to get them on on the show in the near future
4: sky well it's the transcript concept that was i was introduced to it just yesterday and i have not done a deep dive but as an editor searching for that phrase or that i know that person said that thing and so to have a transcript and be able to highlight the word on a text document and then it automatically puts the video uh, in an edited timeline. I thought that was, uh, I know there's many more features, but I know a lot of people that do a paper edit of their concept uh, content. So that's where I'm, I'm very interested in this. And again, that it's all cloud-based and, and very simplified in, its, in uh, its tool sets. So I'm very interested in seeing where it goes. Next question.
1: Ike Potter, Hanover, Germany, has a question. Panasonic's box camera, the BGH1, can be powered by an expensive, non-MPF-style lithium-ion accu, which is an AGVBR89. When powered by a DC power supply, does the BGH1 charge the lithium-ion accu, or is an additional charger required?
2: Alex? Whoops, you're muted, Alex. Don't have my normal tools. Um, Nik- Nikon... Uh typically charges the batteries within their cameras i'm not sure if they're doing it within this one or not i haven't haven't used this one but typically an icon has done that with other cameras that they have that said i would always get a dc power supply (laughs) or or, or, i mean i'll always get an additional charger you don't really want to charge your batteries for a variety of reasons you don't want to charge your batteries in your camera if you don't have to um so um it, it if the if the battery bulges, then they could do a lot of damage to your camera. And so you're better off almost always, almost 100% charging batteries with an external charger and only charging them in the camera when when it's absolutely necessary. And definitely you don't wanna charge third-party batteries inside of an expensive camera. Now, I believe that the, and I believe the VHD1, the camera, the the I'm not sure if it's on the outside or the inside um, as far as that goes, but uh, still uh, I'd be very careful with that.
1: Uh, next question. Next one in from Douglas Carmichael. Uh, many chip makers, Apple included, mentioned that their chips are made on the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company process. Do you think that reliance on one company to make chips is a
2: vulnerability because of the
1: China-Taiwan issue?
2: Alex? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, everyone's trying to figure out how to, they've gotten themselves into this pickle and everyone's trying to get, figure out how to get out of the pickle jar now. So so uh, you know, you're seeing Apple and everyone else. The problem is, we're talking about hundreds of millions, a very specialized skill set and hundreds of millions of, of devices that need to be generated. It's, it's, it is, it's not like a little ship. It's like the biggest ship you could possibly imagine and making it turn is gonna take some time. And so I think that a lot of po- folks are hoping that the United States and China can stay friendly for at least long enough um, for them to get their businesses out of China. I, the, the irony of all of this is that China is trying to, I don't know what China's trying to do, but, but they are literally burning up their entire future for an island that doesn't really matter to them. <laughs> like like it doesn't, it, it matters to them emotionally. It just doesn't matter to them um, in any sizable way um, other than it embarrasses them that other Chinese are doing better than they are. Um, and so the, but I think that it is, um, it's it's a disastrous problem, you know, for China because all these countries now, after what happened in Russia, all these countries are, try- I mean, all these companies are trying to get out of China, and so uh, TSMC is is looking at American and other countries to move their their fabrication out of even Taiwan um, to make that happen. But it's it's a it's a disastrous Chinese policy <laughs> for China, <laughs> like it's and so, but but in the in the what, what you are seeing is all of the big companies that have just felt like that was an automatic thing to do start to make it not automatic. Courtney.
0: Uh, yeah, what Alex said, the, um, and also there's been recent legislation passed to help, uh, the United States, uh, move, uh, chip fab back to the United States and, uh, and other countries that are more friendly. Uh, and, uh, that will take two to three years for them to even build those fabs so we're looking at the next two to three years kind of dancing on eggshells and hoping that uh, China doesn't invade Taiwan or take it back uh, and cut off production and try and uh, hamper you know production of
2: all electronic devices all over the world so Alex is keeping our fingers crossed excuse me Courtney Alex and one of the big problems is, is, that because we didn't do this for a long time, we stopped manufacturing, we stopped, we, we devalued skills and skill sets. Um, we basically ended up with a large workforce that can't do it. So it's not just that, oh, you, the wages are too high or what are we gonna do in the United States? We don't have the people to do it. And it will take us a decade at least to bring up the skill sets that are required to make all of that happen. And we were talking about, there's a, you know, uh, there's a hundred thousand people or 200,000 people in Shenzhen that can do things that there's like a thousand in the United States that can do. <laughs> you know, so, so it's it's a different there's a there's a there's a huge um, skill set problem. and then the problem is what skills do you build up that, that eventually a ro- robot doesn't replace? I mean Foxconn is spending billions a year trying to figure out how to build robots to do most of the stuff most of the assembly that's going on. So there's just this kind of we're in a really complicated space when it comes to moving things out right now.
0: Next question.
1: Ronnie Hofsey from Trumso, Norway, asking, every show is packed with valuable information, but sadly, I don't have enough time to watch them all. So a two or three minute recap video for each episode would greatly assist to find and prioritize the best episodes for me to watch later. Pros
4: and cons? Sky Gleason. An engineer friend of mine had his logo was all things are possible, with time and money. And that's what I look at editing is is just time. And so to find those Nuggets does take time. And that's why I mentioned earlier about this, this transcript concept. If if there was a way of searching in a text concept and doing some of that pre you know sorting, that, that might be a tool. Again, somebody would have to learn that tool. Somebody have have to have, have access to the 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 feed or the, the video of some kind. But is it possible? Of course. The imagination, that's part of what we do here, is we continue to push. I love Finwick's comment about Alex Lindsay is he's not just in over the fence in the next yard. He's in the third house over going over the fence. So we're constantly pushing forward. Courtney. Well, maybe we could uh,
2: auto
0: caption all of our library and train a chat GPT database with all of that text and have it generate summaries that are available instantly
2: oh. on searching. There you get go. get right on. Alex. That. Okay, John. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think that one of the things that we, we, we've talked about a little bit is now it it probably could be something that Descript again could pro- possibly do where we where we grab it. the The issue is is that for a lot of people that getting a conversational a conversational uh, two hours into three minutes is difficult, um, and and so it, it it's not a minor amount of editing that's required to get that down. Um, I think that um, it is a you know, trying to figure out how we take an hour and maybe make it 10 minutes or we've definitely talked about making two hours um, a weekly show. So taking all the stuff that we did over the five days or six days and then combining it down into like a two hour digest. But what we, I think what we would need to do is, and we have it built in. I think that if you actually click on each one of these questions, you can put a heart against it. And one of the things we've talked about is getting people to to do more where they rate the answers. Like that was a great conversation. That was a great conversation by the producers. And then we just go grab those, you know, from, from there. And we could potentially be using the in and out points to go at least get us close. Like just I'm going to assemble all this stuff and then let somebody kind of tweak it a little bit and then put it out. I think that if we can figure that out, I think that would be a faster way to do that. Or we could get Descript to summarize it and then have it go back and grab the pieces that are part of the summary <laughs> so, or not the good chat GPT to take the stuff from Descript and then, and then cut it all down and then hand it back to us. But I don't know. I mean, it'd be very
0: beginnings of crowdsourced editing. Tom Ferguson. I don't know that you can
5: boil down a two hour show to two or three minutes, but I do look at the Makana uh, YouTube version and quick read through the questions when I'm not here on the panel. And that way I can jump to the questions that I'm interested in and I want to learn more about. Uh, If it's a question I feel like I know what's already going on, I just skip over it.
1: There you go. Next question. From Sky Gleason in Seattle, Washington, asking any new
0: announcements from CES. Um, I haven't heard that much. I, You know, we have our friends there. We have Guy uh, Cochran there. And, uh, of course, John Preto's there. And so there are some people who are linked to office hours roaming the hallways on it. But I haven't heard anything specifically on my radar. Courtney, you just popped up. Sometimes panel, usual, usual panelist uh, uh, has geekazine there. Jeffrey uh, has geekazine. Jeffrey Powers has Geekazine, so you could check his website and uh, make see what he's reporting back because I know he's there. Excellent. Excellent suggestion. Yeah, Jeffrey's there and has done this for many years, is very skilled at being able to ro- roll through a show floor and figure out what's important. Next question. Stefan Fischer from Würzburg
1: Germany last week I learned that the polar patterns of microphones are created among other things by dedicated holes in the body how does this work with large diaphragm mics which are open to all sides Stefan Fischer that was your question
6: so you had another Yeah that thought. was my question and just wanna precise a little bit what I meant so I learned that there are little holes in in uh, the bodies of the mics and these create kind of create the polar patterns uh, and uh, in front of me there's um, a large diaphragm condenser mic like the brano pantera in this case and it's open all the way around so how are created polar patterns in uh, with this kind of mics
0: this well, there's a little thing. discussion of that uh, on tuesday on the or on Wednesday on the audio thing but courtney yeah sometimes they use a, a, an additional element that's facing the opposite direction uh, that's inside the housing you may not see it and that uh, is accepting that uh, sound coming from 180 degrees out of phase. So even if it's open, uh, the sound that's coming in the second element is summed with the first element. That creates your noise cancellation. Um, and I think the Coles microphones use that. A lot of uh, noise canceling headset microphones that are used in helicopters use that technique uh, with uh, dual diaphragms facing opposite directions fed together out of phase. Yeah, and phase plays a part in interference tube microphones and other microphones that have multiple openings and they are machined for accuracy so that certain frequencies can enter at different time delays, micro time delays and cancel phases and things like that. Microphone technology is a very precise, well understood, but that's why there's thousands of different microphone types out there because manufacturers match all these things to what they need the microphone to do. Uh, Let's move on to the next question.
1: Next up, John Foltz from Sealings Grove, Pennsylvania. John asked, has anyone used the Axoon Cmo device that lets you use a mobile phone as an on-camera monitor? Looks interesting.
4: Sky Gleason. It does look interesting. And when Talalik was here visiting Guy Cochran up at the DVE store, I actually held one in the box. But I was introduced to the concept, and imagine having a, you know, a six-inch monitor or Better yet, they actually have a frame for an iPad with all of the quarter twenties on the outside, so you could have a nice eleven-inch monitor that you're going to be bringing already. But you just need to take into the field. And so the concept is brilliant. It also has a, the, I believe, if this is the same uh, manufacturer and model, it has the ability to mount a, a battery onto the back, so you're not going to be draining your your your, your laptop. Or, I'm sorry, your your iPad. So the concept is brilliant because you're going to be having your iPhone in your pocket anyway, why not have this nice big monitor, especially for some of the 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 other bigger cameras that have little tiny screens. I just want to thank the guy who named it the Axun SEMO. I love that,
2: <laughs> Alex. Yeah, it looks really, really interesting. My curiosity is how good it is at delivering that footage to the iPhone as a, not just as its own app, but but really something that can be just delivered to an app, you know, through an API or whatever. Uh, you just, I'm curious how it gets the video in there and whether third-party apps could get a hold of it, because that would be really, really interesting. I think, it, I think it converts it to HDMI. Well, it's HDMI in, but it's converting it to something, something to get into the iPhone. Yeah. So it's, it's is how is it streaming that? You know, that was the, there was a lot of work done with the DX01 um, that got its camera into, the, into its own app very quickly. And it was basically streaming it um, at a very high rate. And the curiosity there is that I was like, the phone, the, the camera was great actually, but the, the, the software was often pretty buggy. And I was like, you just need to make this available to other software, <laughs> so. All right, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael has a question. On Max Schneider's tour, the front-of-house engineer recorded each show on the Allen & Heath SQ5 console's USB drive, an SQ drive, and handed the recordings to the videographer. Wouldn't you need a time-code source from recording sound for video to keep things in sync? Mitchell. Used to be a big issue because of the mechanics of tape and other things not always being uh... exactly uh... synchronous with the sound but nowadays everything's pretty much digital and uh... even audio recording has a frame rate associated with it which will allow you to uh... to match it up with the video i know that uh, in premiere when you're editing uh... you can place that uh... that audio on the track and it will synchronize to the video but yes you can record timecode on some machines and it is handy to have because it's an exact frame-synchronous association between every bit and every uh, bit of video.
2: Alex? I think a lot of times when you're using a lot of multiple sources that you have to bring back together that were shot, especially in film production, time code is really important. It it does make it easier when you're grabbing a bunch of camera sources um, to do that. I will say that I evolved through doing lots of video production where I only saw time code until in the last couple of years <laughs> you know, like like I just never we never interacted with time code um, you know usually we just married up we had um, core you know audio on you know audio recorded on the camera we were able to match it and to be honest with you sometimes the match was better I mean we've had uh, recently had trouble with time code not being accurate <laughs> you know and then that that becomes really problematic. Um, and so, uh, so the, um, uh, I use time code, but I still try to depend on putting audio into the camera, you know, like just regular audio that I can match going, this is the, this is what was coming through there. And if I can do that, I can, um, I, I can, time code is useful. I'm not saying it's not useful. And definitely when you get into something really complex with a lot of takes and a lot of bits and pieces, it's a lot easier to figure out what's going on. But I will say that needing time code is a big word.
0: Uh, Courtney,
2: Yeah, it's changed considerably in the,
0: uh, in the move to digital uh, recording because we used to record on analog tapes, uh, which could slip, capstans could slip, camcorders could not have an accurate time base. Now pretty much everything is file-based, it's digitally generated, and it's sunk to a crystal inside each of the cameras and inside the console. So it's less of a problem of staying in sync once you synchronize them. Time code is used for finding your sync point. The uh, uh, sample rate, synchronizing the sample rates between the two sources is good for maintaining sync over a long period of time. Uh, If you don't have uh, stable sample clocks that are related to each other in the camera and the audio console, It could drift, but since you're going to be cutting that about every five or ten milliseconds anyway in a typical uh, video production, uh, it's not going to manage that much because you won't be on a shot long enough to see it drift. And they can just sync it up, as Alex said. If you just feed a reference track or just a cue track, even an open microphone on the camcorders that are roaming around so that they hear the local sound recorded in the camcorder, you can use that audio to find your place and sync up. The original track that is coming into the console,
5: Mitch Hill. Yeah, Courtney
1: got it uh, synchronizing to the uh, to the Nat sound that's coming off the cameras. Uh, the other thing is just an old fashioned slapper slate uh, that uh, at the beginning of the uh, thing would allow you to time up all the uh, cameras to the audio track to have them all synchronous.
0: And in my practice, it's just uh, things have changed so much since I started out. And the three-two pull up or pull down that we used to have to do to get like 24 frame content into 30 frame things. it just, It's all pretty much now software handled and it's reasonably automatic. Alex?
2: Oops, you're still muted. Uh, sorry. Mitch reminded me of this. We used to call this a mini slate when when we had three cameras like at a, at a venue and we used to have something like this. And, and as long as the cameras could all see that, we could, we could at least pull the cameras together and then we had to deal with the audio later. But, but it was just what we called, the, just give me a mini slate. And, like, and that would be it. Anyway. Yeah. Like, you, you young people
0: don't know how lucky you have it. I'm just yeah, joking. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to the next question. Vincent
1: Alvarez from Bellingham, Washington, recently a mentor of mine had a Jason, a Jason case in his background during a Zoom. Can anyone compare their thoughts on choosing Jason cases versus Pelican cases?
4: Sky Gleason's going to help us. Well, I I have several Pelican cases, but I have the an older one without the wheels. Oh my back! I I dragged that all the way to Las Vegas on the recent, you know, OH Space Adventure. And I realized the the newer versions with the wheels and, of course, the the handle, that, that's the necessity. Whatever you get. So it looks like Alex is going to bring bring one in. Mitchell?
1: Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to suggest Alex had one right behind him. I don't know if he would planned it that way, but uh, there it is. And it looks like it's well-traveled, too.
2: Those 1650s are real fun when you load them with lead-acid batteries. <laughs> Alex? Here's the funny part is, I don't know what's in this case. So we're gonna we're gonna open this case up and take a look. It feels pretty light, so I think it's empty. Um, so you can throw
0: Pelican cases around. Six latches. Notice, kids, it's hard to get at those open sometimes. He could do this if you were at home, and it's TSA friendly too. Yeah, if the case lid warps, those handles can be tough to pop out. Those latches can... I've broken more than a few fingernails on those latches.
2: So this one is a... This is for our 2ME uh, panel. I don't know if you can see that over there. Hold on, let me see if I can... It's a little black on black. Yeah, let me see here. Um, let see if we can... So I'm gonna zoom in here. Probably might be a little.
4: And uh, let's bring up the exposure here. Seems they've got more form on their foam. The it seems more so rigid. So here's you what, go, you, go what you have here is that
2: this is this is cutting. It's all nice and cut, and it's cut specifically. What Jason, Cade speci- what Jason cases specialize in is being able to cut these right to it. So we ordered something for this to me panel specifically and so rather than it just being pick and pluck and uh, and kind of slowly falling apart or or the best we could do um we have all like little little areas for extra things and so on and so forth and so they really you know they really think it out you know as far as that goes and so well, now i'm really overexposed but um you know it's it's a much more thought out thing that's for a specific thing and now i'm really zoomed in uh cut away <laughs> we got away. Got away. <laughs> the Fenwick framer is not going to work from that. Let's
0: go to the next question. And it's from John Filer in Greenfield, Greenfield
1: Massachusetts. Uh, if you're not using a digital audio workstation, what is a good way to have an audio meter displayed on a Zoom call so everyone knows the basic levels? Mitch Hill. And we do it. Uh, we use the, uh, the Windows WLM meters or the Waves uh, WLM meters. Uh, they're here on our panel if you, uh, well, you won't necessarily see them. But if you go to After Hours, for example, you're going to see Brandon has one up there. And it's nice to have it even in the breakout rooms because it just gets everybody on the same level. So you don't have somebody blasting into you. So it's it's a handy uh, gadget to have. And there are a lot of different companies that make various types of uh, meters. that will do basically the same thing. But if you wait long enough for
4: $29, you can get the Waves plug in. Sky Gleason. Is, is the tradition of one fist's distance away from a microphone, is that still of a value? I know that's not digital, but the, that analog solution.
0: Well, every microphone pickup pattern is going to be different. For dynamic mics, you do not want to get too far away from them because they're not as sensitive. So that is usually a good starting place for most mic techniques. Uh, and then you listen and adjust uh, appropriately. Alex, oops, uh, muted again.
2: Sorry, <laughs> it took a year and a half of doing something else. Um, what I'm uh, moving towards on my system is to put a um, is to put Sonic Atom on top of uh, you know in a Mac Mini for variety. There'll be other things the Mac Mini is doing, but but it then gets the audio input um, directly out of Zoom ISO using uh, Dante, um, so that it can sit there and just look at what that output is, and then um, and then it'll I can put it's got all kinds of scopes <laughs> that I can put up and I'm going to have a whole full screen, you know, that I, that I have working on. And that's what I'm working on in my office right now.
0: And John Feiler, since we didn't, haven't seen you a lot before, one of the most interesting things I think about the show is that our meters every day or most days are provided by our friend Hazma Gajar, who's in Cape Town, South Africa, supplying those into a global show from a different place than the show is switched or where the panelists come in from. So, uh, these ability to put, Useful pieces of information into these webinars. It's amazing to me still to this day. Stefan,
6: yeah, and uh, just to add, this uh, plugin uh, we talk about is uh, can be added to Audio Hijack, so you don't need a, a special other software if you're a Mac user and use Audio Hijack. This plugin attaches directly to that.
0: There you go. Next question.
1: From Greg Gibson in Washington, D.C., I don't believe there's a way in Zoom to send automated reminders to registered attendees in meeting format like there is in webinar. Not sure why this is, but can we encourage the Office Hours community to make this a feature request?
2: Alex. So as Someone who has used, obviously used heavily the webinar uh, mailing, I would recommend not doing that. Um, we're moving away from that in any way, shape, or form. We already moved away from it for office hours, and use Mailchimp for it, where you can, you know, take the information people have registered for, um, and you can still export those out to Mailchimp. I would recommend if you want to do something relatively professional, it's just not depend on any of Zoom's automatic features. I mean, that's really for folks who are not doing anything that that matters, you know. And we did, and we did it for a long time out of specifically my laziness. <laughs> you know, like I was just like, I don't. Mailchimp makes makes me a little crazy, um, so it does take a little bit to get over the the hump of it, and and so I um, didn't do that. Josh took it over, but now it's Mailchimp. <laughs> so, um, and uh, but but I would recommend not doing that, and I would recommend probably not leaning on Zoom to do it well. Um, and so I think that I would I would rather be publishing out who I had registered, and and then or and I believe that there's actually some integration between Mailchimp and and Zoom that's available. If you're doing it for your own little company, um, then uh, then you know, or your your own little division within a big company, um, then I think that it's probably okay. Um, But I think that I would highly recommend if you're doing this as a business and as events, I would stop using the mail features within Zoom um, at almost every level, like the the scheduler, the calendar, the all those things don't work well so so like you know like so they're 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 it's and i don't know i don't even know how to fix it you know like i don't know what i would ask for like i just think that it's they're so broken that i'm not sure it's worth i don't know if we would use up our energy to to make that request because they're so far from a solution it could be 2024 before we saw something that actually worked
0: next question
1: John Feiler from Greenfield, Massachusetts, asking, any thoughts on a reliable color printer? I seem to have a growing pile of homeowner inkjets that are not completely broken, but always suck up enough time that I avoid them. Uh, We got a few
0: people to help you here. Courtney, we'll start with you. Yeah, consumer value inkjets are a problem because they sell them as a loss leader. They make money on selling you the overpriced cartridges that contain the ink. And uh, so that's going to be a problem. The other problem with ink jets is you got to use them every day. If you don't use them every day, they're going to clog up. Some of the nozzles are going to clog up, and then they have to pump gallons of ink through those nozzles to unclog them. And then the sump fills up, which is a little little sponge that's inside the uh, printer that it sticks the heads over when it tries to clean the nozzles. And once that sump fills up, your printer's dead. It will not let you print anymore. And there's no way for the user to replace that little ink sponge that sucks up the pumped out ink. So uh, I could suggest maybe the EcoTank printers. I don't have any of them that are the Epson brand EcoTank. You see Shaq advertising them where they don't make their money off the cartridges they use larger reservoirs at large bottles of ink. Although they'll pay a lot more for the printer But just remember, you still need to use that printer at least to print out some full-color stuff every day to exercise all the nozzles to keep them from drying out and clogging. Because once they dry out and clog the print nozzle, it's really hard to bring them back to life again. Jesse Kester.
3: We've moved all of our color printing offsite to something like Kinko's or Home Depot or Office Max or whatever, you know, wherever your local color printer is. We just get better color prints and the, the amount of money we save at home not maintaining a whole bunch of inkjet printers uh, is, we save more than we would have spent on those printers. But having a good black and white laser printer is a must.
4: Sky? I also have moved over to a black and white laser printer because we have multiple. I have a stack of the consumer color printers, and yes, I am also interested in this eco tank concept with the uh, the tubes because yes, I walked out of Costco with a thirty five dollar printer and an eighty five dollar ink cartridge. <laughs> yeah, Mitchell. hill.
1: Yeah, I'm with Sky on that. I've got a very expensive HP color printer sitting next to me over here, and I let it sit there too long. And when I tried to print something, it looked like
0: a mid-journey. Yeah, I will say I have used an Epson EcoTank for the last year and maybe, maybe 14 months. It has been really good so far, and I do not miss buying all of those cartridges. So uh, if you have small need use, uh, and we don't clean the heads or or use it every day, probably two or three days, I wish I could get rid of printing entirely, and I'm trying to move as much to my iPad Pro when we have script reading and things like that that I used to print out, but I've got a couple of clients who are just hooked on paper, and they want everything when they come into the shop to be printed, and and so what can you do? You just got to do what you can do. Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael asking, is there any sort of version control change management like Git for complex Isadora projects?
2: Alex, uh, our team would have to chime in here, but I believe that we use Git. Get up, get up for the for the for the uh, for the management of the Isadora projects. Yeah. yeah,
0: and for those of you not aware, that's a kind of a programmer's repository. It's a public bulletin board. People can put code snippets up. They talk a huge community and incredibly active. So uh, if you are interested in programming and do not know about that, though, that seems rare to me because I think every programmer I know just loves that. Uh, investigate it. Next question.
1: Douglas is back with a question. I've used Resolve with Shadow, a cloud-based PC service, and editing in the cloud has been surprisingly fluid and easy to work with. Could services like Shadow be game-changing for taking high-end workflows on the road?
2: Alex? Possibly. Um, you know, I think that the issue is with, with any of these things is that you're now connected to your connectivity. So if, if when you say on the road, what is your connectivity going to be everywhere on the road? Um, also, you know cloud services tend to be really efficient when you 're using them here and again when you turn them on and, and use them for a little while and then turn them off even with shadow um, when you start saying i 'm going to use it all the time or i 'm going to have long renders or i 'm going to do a lot of other things there um, that I need a lot of processing the, the cost effectiveness becomes lower <laughs> so um and then you know so so I think that that 's the, the those are the challenges with using something like that it 's great for I need to do something right now and I can, I can throw it up there and, and make it work and I'm not going to use it all the time. Um, but to, if you're going to use it all the time, it, it starts to become less efficient.
0: So we have one more question before we get to our brainstorming session. Uh, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael asking, currently living with my older disabled aunt, and I'm curious of what technologies would be useful to enable her to stay in the home she loves as long as possible. How could an integrated home
0: automation system make her life easier? Um, there are a lot of technologies. I, I've gone through two circumstances where we've had somebody who's elderly um, kind of come and live with us. And one of the things that I was surprised at is the simple things like large uh, display clocks and large display signage and things like that. Really, it's a simple thing. But as eyesight fades with advanced age, and that's the normal case uh, for many people, uh, that turned out to be a big thing. But we got other people who want to get in here. Uh, Courtney, take it away. I, I would buy into and I'm totally sold into the uh, Home assistance, both the Google Home and the Amazon Alexa, uh, because uh, they not only can you can set your home up with uh, light switches that can be operated off of it to televisions, I can now turn on my TV with a vocal command. I can tell it to tune to a different channel. I can have it find find stuff on Netflix, uh, all with vocal commands without having to even hit a button or, or uh, lift a finger. But this is handy to have, especially for someone who's disabled who likes to listen to radio stations uh, because they can play almost any radio station if you just ask for the call letters. Uh, it'll play it. Or if it, if that show that her favorite show she likes to listen to is available for streaming, just ask for it and it plays it. Uh, there's uh, little uh, sight involved in dealing with any of those. Uh, it's all vocal. As long as she has a good voice and can hear the results, um, they are a really handy assistants to have and, and can interface to the home in a variety of ways. And almost everything these days that has home automation built in, supports both of those platforms without any type of hub.
1: Mitchell? Yeah, I agree uh, 100% to the device that uh, Courtney was referring to. Uh, my mom loves it, uses it, and it's the best gift I ever gave her.
0: And Harshid?
7: I want to lean into the Google side of this because uh, recently uh, the Amazon end said that they won't let you make phone calls with it to uh each other so they're taking away that feature uh... and the reason why with google or even amazon devices they're both well Automation comes from what uh, platform you want to have. So if you're using an iPhone, f- for example, for your phone, uh, you want to make sure that it's also uh, available in your ecosystem. Uh, Lutron make really good switches that are most reliable and probably have the least issues in comparison. And so if you're trying to get integration for light switches and such that, then Lutron would be a company to look at. Um, the other aspects, uh, Hue make great kits you know, that are uh, for four light bulbs and a a router thing, if that's the setup. Um, And again, with the assistants, they all work well, but sometimes just having analog things or something that you could just smack and it'll tell you the time could be helpful and just to have them sprinkled around the house, one in the bathroom, one in the kitchen. And it's not that the person might be low vision or anything, but it's just something for convenience. And I think uh, the rest of it just kind of comes from self-need contrasty stuff. So even when you're using a cutting board, uh, having the one that has like a black and white, uh, both ends are, are different colors, could be more helpful. So in the kitchen, it just makes it easier when you're doing something and you can't see that onion because it's on a white cutting board. So just little tricks like that could help you a lot.
0: And uh, Douglas, we wish you great success in helping your aunt through these later stages of life. All right. We've managed to make it to the end of our regular first hour, and now we're going into our second hour. Today, we're talking about brainstorming media infrastructure, and this is all the support that makes production possible. We want to talk about logistics, power, infrastructure, crews, all the stuff that is not kind of front of mind. But anybody who's ever produced content and has gone out in the field understands how important all of this infrastructure is to achieving success. So we're going to go through and we encourage you, remember, uh, if you're going to be interacting with Mukana and putting in your ideas, we're not looking for questions so much as topics that you think we should discuss in the coming year on Friday. So uh, it's a little different than our normal uh, game we play here every day with putting your questions in. This is more Add, a, add topics and then the panel will be able to discuss
2: them. And we're going to start with the panel and uh, a couple of thoughts about that. First from Alex Lindsay. Yeah. I think that, I think that this is these, by the way, this week has been very valuable and these, these weeks we'll probably do once a quarter, just so we can keep on checking in on what, where we're going and how we're doing it. It's been a great way to think about trends and think about things we want to cover. I think that for, um, for Friday's, you know, our goal is really yeah, all the logistics it takes to put together a show, you know? So I think that even some of the stuff we that were discussed yesterday, we might fit more into this day than than into, you know, video probably wants to be video video and probably the logistics of video would end up in Friday. Um, I do think that cloud plays a big, I think we have some comments about that, but cloud plays a big piece of this. Um, I think that we should be talking about Zoom at least once a month. <laughs> I think we should be talking about cloud at least once a month. I think we should be talking about some kind of event structure once a month of just understanding these event structures. I feel like um, you know we really wanted to find you know what those those look like and and how to produce them and what the technical ends of of those are that don't really fit into the other days. I mean, I don't think we're talking about really the I mean, you know like for instance a, the the uh, you know we could talk about certain kinds of events and some of the business end of that might end up on Monday, but Friday is probably a better place to talk about the what would you do with that event, and how would you execute it so i so I think that um, those are things that are kind of t- top of mind and then kind of a generalist one of we 've talked about everything from tape to you know to uh, to uh, shipping and all the things that that you know and then of course just basic i t so I think that i t is a, a, at least um, you know a pretty regular one that we want to start talking about of just really understanding how how are the infrastructure of the of how we connect to everything actually
4: works? Uh, Sky Lisa. Well, I've just in observing this this past week, Alex, I've been very appreciative of our understanding that not every tool is right for every job, and that every concept is right for every lo- you know uh, uh, use case. So, what I've started seeing is the the levels of where that tool fits, and also uh, the difference between a show and maybe a lab and that we now have the infrastructure to, to be able to think about that's a legitimate um, let's put that need in that location of time and space and, and that group of people that are interested in it. So I've just been, I've seen their huge value in this this week in helping us define moving forward faster with, with these new tools that we have. Tom Ferguson. Well,
5: let's start with location and location scouting. Uh, What do you take along on location scouting, your iPad, how do you document, uh, any other tools you might need while you're on the road, just checking out where you want to shoot? Cool. All right. Let's get to our questions and see what our producers
1: think. And first one in from John Nichols in Concord, California, and uh, his topic suggestion is leveraging and influencing cloud providers, specifically AWS for office hour needs.
2: Alex will help us. Yeah, yeah I, I think we should be talking about cloud and probably mostly AWS um, every month. You know, So I think that one of those, one of the days needs to be something where, and I don't think, I mean, in the past we've done, the guys have done incredible um, uh, incredible overviews of how to do something very specific in AWS. And I think those are probably lean more towards labs and classes. I think that we could literally just come up and do Q and A about AWS. And if we get the right people to be there for Q&A as we try to figure things out, um, I think would be enough, you know, to get a lot of people, at least at the beginning, and then look at labs and then look at classes that we might be able to provide um, in those areas. But I think that understanding how the cloud, you know, how we would utilize the cloud and constantly processing everything from the shadow PC that Douglas talked about to AWS to Azure to you know, all the different solutions I think we need to be paying attention to um, constantly because I think that those are going to be important to what we're doing.
0: Next question. T.J.
1: Asher, Minneapolis, Minnesota, with a topic. uh, Amazon announced it will cut 18,000 jobs next week, many in technology areas. How does this impact AWS and the viability of using web services in general for production?
0: Should we be pulling back from the cloud or keep moving towards it? Courtney, start us off. I don't know what kind of topic this would create. Maybe we could look at, uh, you know, how to deal with the global uh, a shift in the economy. You know, so it's uh, we're in a bit of a recession now globally. And uh, how to deal with that might be a good topic. Uh, Amazon in particular, you know, they have one point five, four million employees. So 18,000 isn't that much. But uh, and. You know whether or not it's going to impact uh, how we use the web or not, that could be a co- topic for c- concern, but I don't think it really is going to affect us that much.
2: Alex? Yeah, I definitely think that that measuring the value of, we were talking about this a little bit in the first hour, measuring the value of cloud over physical and when does it make sense to go to cloud? When does it make sense to have physical? When does it make sense to have a little bit of both? And and I think that those things are are definitely important. I mean, I definitely have the cloud is here to stay. You know, so I'm not too concerned about uh, AWS um, of, of dropping this. This is a pretty common, whether people like it or not, this is a pretty, what we see a lot of times is a pretty common um, expansion, which is that you hire into the, with a future idea of what you're going to, what you're going to do. And then you very quickly pull back with a future idea of where you don't, may not need folks. And it's actually a pretty common process to, to, to use there. So I don't think that this is going to give us any concern. I definitely think that our future is in the cloud. And so we just have to um, keep on measuring when it makes sense and when it doesn't. Jesse Kester.
3: Um, one thing that I wonder how the other panelists uh, are doing to approach this is we, we, we maintain uh, redundancy in physical production. And I'd love to know what, how, how everyone else is maintaining redundancy in the cloud environment and you know, what
0: solutions and problems you've been experiencing there. That's a great topic, and remember, we're we're not trying to really solve such as much as talk about what kinds of people to bring in for the discussions
2: next year. But Alex has thoughts on this. Yeah, we we've got some great folks, um, Greg Gibson and, and Chirag, and and, and um, a lot of other folks that have been doing this, and you know, and, and Guy and Jonas and Tucker, and all these other folks that have been doing, uh, and Jeff Keithley. You know, all these folks have been doing this stuff, and a lot of them have a lot of. Uh, backup strategies and how they're going to switch over, how they're going to switch over to different staff, how they're going to switch over to different computers. And I definitely would love to have them come in and talk about redundancy in the cloud is a great, great subject for a second hour.
0: Yeah, that
1: makes sense. Uh, Next question. Laura Thompson from Beaumont, Texas, uh, pointing out that we could discuss how to assess what size crew is needed.
2: Alex. Yeah, I think that at different levels, being able to talk about there's we've been talking about it with hardware, but, you know, with small, medium, large, you know, like there is a, you know, what do you absolutely need when you don't have a lot, a big budget? And what do you do when you have the budget that that allows you to fully execute um, something? And so I think that because there is no limit to the size of crew that you might want. (laughs) So, you know, it just gets better. And so the the main thing is, is that you want to think about. But where where do you cut when when you don't have a budget to fill those things in? Um, it's that's really it's more making that decision because again, there's no there's no upper limit to number of people that you could add if you had the
4: budget to do it. Sky. Well, and part of the concept is we d- developed the department heads in this last year's productions of this community, and that was a real critical. So, at what point is a department? had valuable, uh, useful when you've got other people to do the the major work. So, um, the, the authority and leadership conversation would be helpful in this topic, Courtney. Yeah, perhaps, so. when to make the step or the leap, if people
0: have been used to hiring you as a one-man band type of solution with you providing a camcorder and audio and lighting, uh, when do you make that step, uh, to, uh, a crude Response, you know, where you bring bring your own audio person, and you hire a gaffer, et cetera, to to do the lighting, and and how do you how do you sell that to the, your clients as a positive thing, uh, even though they'll be spending a lot more money? Jesse Kester's next.
3: And also a discussion on um, how, how to manage larger teams. I came up in the age of the one-man band. So as our teams grow, there's a lot of misses I'm making that I'd love to, to cut out of the workflow as early and often as possible. Next question. Sky Gleason
1: in Seattle, Washington. Is this the second hour where we bring in writers and designers into the creative process of making content? Hersheed.
7: I say absolutely. Uh, Yesterday we had a little session, thanks to Laura, in After Hours uh, for accessibility. And one of the topics that we discussed was alt tags and also audio description came up. And so to be precise or concise in your verbiage and to have a story that you tell on your webpage or any content that you put out there, especially if it's a stream or if it's a PowerPoint, keynote, et cetera, uh, we should be able to really... uh, be good wordsmiths about uh, how we introduce a topic and how we deliver it and then how we uh, end it you know, with the conclusion. So I kind of look at it as kind of like a piece of candy, how you first start with it. You have to unwrap it. You look at how you taste it. And then, you know, that's the delivery process that the person gets. So uh, it's always important to have that story or to have that uh, infrastructure of this is a better way to maybe do audio description to be quick. And uh, what words can you use to uh, describe something, which is not similar to what we speak every day. So.
2: Alex. Yeah, the um, I think that storytelling itself um, and writing would probably be in the first in Monday is is really itself like the ideas of creating that would probably be a Monday subject. How we manage those ideas would probably be a Friday subject to make it more complicated. <laughs> you know, so, so we would probably talk about that. But talking about you know if we were talking about storyboarding or pre visualization or planning software or other things like that, that's probably a Friday discussion. If we're talking about the actual writing and ideas and business structures around it, that's probably a Monday structure. Um, But it's a valuable conversation in both of those. And we might even be able to at some point team them up where we're talking about on Monday, we're talking about writing. And on Friday, we're talking about the tools that we use for that.
0: Next question.
1: From Brody Hefner in New York City, in light of the recent uptick in solar flare activity, how about a second hour on steps to avoid or mitigate damage to electronics from CME-related power surges?
2: I know this is near and dear to Alex's heart, Alex. I think talking about general CME related uh, issues that that could occur, um, and and then just general. I don't think we have to worry too much about what it's going to do to our equipment anytime soon. If if it does something to our equipment, it's probably done so many things we're not going to have a show. So so like you know like I don't think we have to worry about our show working because no one will have anything working. So if, if it actually damages your equipment, um, so so the because uh, if it damages your equipment, it damages the Traffic lights and the power cables and the radio and everything else all at the same time most likely so I wouldn't worry about it too much related to that um, but I but I would say that we've done these in the past and we should do them in the future which is really looking at backup strategies backup for power backup for you know rain you know we can even talk about rain um, you know but different things where we talk about uh, how to handle things and I don't know if we need to make a whole one about backup for rain but but how to deal with Adverse conditions, I think, is probably a good second hour. And we can keep on talking about what those look like.
0: Next question. Brian
1: Shand in Sydney, Australia. Uh, Brian says, pre-production roles and what it takes to deliver a show from idea to reality, including technical and soft
2: skills. Alex. I think it'd be a great subject. And I think that we want to think about with all of these subjects is how do we break those up into smaller bits? So rather than using up a whole subject, um, you know, on a Friday is really think about how we might do a couple different talks that are going to deal with specific things, you know, in those, in those areas. Uh, Courtney Gooden.
0: Yes. A uh, second hour on budgeting and scheduling would be handy to, as far as preparing for a show, upcoming show and how to budget it, how to schedule it, how to hire your people on a day-by-day basis.
4: Sky. And again, in the small, medium, large of the of the question is identifying what is the show that you're producing. Is it a a thing for a corporation that needs a, a case study or is it an event for your your house of worship? And so the categorization of this topic is very necessary. And I heard Jesse saying he's very interested in moving away from being the one one person, you know, band to the team. So how do we do this production as a team? And where do we take responsibility? Jesse Kester.
3: Uh, Not just budgeting, but also budgeting bigger in in relation to the growth that I just discussed before. uh, We are telling on ourselves sometimes when we submit a bid and uh, it it represents a one man band and not an actual team. So uh, budgeting against growth.
0: Always an interesting thing. Next question.
3: Douglas Carmichael detecting and mitigating
1: conflicts within a group and team before they negatively affect the group.
2: Alex. Yeah, most likely that's a Monday subject. <laughs> so that's that, that I think that really lives more in the producer realm than the, than the technical or logistics realm. I mean, it affects logistics, but I think that probably that'd be a Monday subject.
0: Next question. Chad
1: LaFarge in Columbus, uh, Missouri. Uh, his topic suggestion is recruiting and training talent as well as behind-the-scenes crew. Alex like again.
2: Yeah, I, I would split those carefully. So recruiting and training in general, I would probably leave in Monday. Um, but, you know, like specifically training skill sets might be a Friday thing of, of how do you how do we do that? Or it becomes a Saturday thing where we where we have that there. So that one's a kind of a pretty soft one um, that I don't know if would fit necessarily into Friday. Um, yeah.
0: Next question.
1: Bob Sturtevant event in San Antonio, Texas. Topic suggestion: Tagging onto Laura Thompson's point, resilience. How might office hours build some more depth of its
2: staff? Alex, yeah, I mean, I think that we're um, we're it's pretty deep staff for the budget that it has. <laughs> it's, it's, deep it's incredibly deep for the budget <laughs> yeah, that so, it so, has. So, so I think that it's doing pretty well. But, but the, uh, um, I, I think that we are, uh, uh, I, I, yeah. It's probably a better Sunday topic related to OH specifically, but talking about building resilient staffs is probably a Monday subject. Next question.
1: John Feiler from Greenfield, Massachusetts. How about a collaborative flipped classroom type setup? Thinking about multiple people in close proximity, but all interacting virtually. I'm thinking about multiple
2: phones and gimbals for tours and live interactive training. Alex, your thoughts? And this kind of thing is is really what we're, a lot of us are talking about related to Saturday. So, Saturday is the education second hour and really how to do training specifically and how to build up new types of classrooms, I think uh, is something that a lot of us are talking about right now in the Saturday sessions. Sky? We'll about it as we planned for oh. Saturday, which of course we're going to be talking about tomorrow, or the educators will be talking about tomorrow.
4: So, uh, Sky? Well, I, that, that feels kind of like what we did with Madden and Kitchen. We had multiple things on site, but we had multiple sites that were all brought in together. I just know that's a really heavy lift. But again, we were doing it as a show rather than as a training. Uh, the training was ancillary to certain people, uh, but then it was absolutely priority for others. So is it, a, is it a show or is it is it a training? And can it be both? Absolutely. But um, those are questions I would throw into that, that conversation. Courtney Gooden.
0: Yeah, devoting a second hour to like a field trip might be interesting. Like we used to, uh, like Phil Linger, when he took us on a tour of behind the scenes at his uh, his setup. But uh, uh, in New York City, controlling Times Square, the signage was very interesting. And so if we can find some people that can take us on a little tour of their facility,
4: uh, it uh, would be very interesting second hours. Sky Gleason. Well, Alex, I was talking to one F yesterday and he said there's a tennis tournament in february that he'd be interested in doing some bts on if you're interested oh alex yeah 100 (laughs) percent. that'd be great if
2: if jeff wants to show us what he's doing that'd be great i wish i could show what was happening here in the stage here but i don't think think they're gonna let us do a tour um but it's uh it's dense um that all i know is that someone someone sent me a warning that there's gonna be pyro next week (laughs) So, so anyway the um uh so the um Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot here. And again, it's a weird thing where designing training might sit on Saturday, the hardware and how we tie it together uh, could end up being on Friday or the two of them kind of mixing and matching together. So, we just kind of have to kind of think through that a little bit. And also a quick reminder that um, we're running, you know, we're gonna finish this hour a little early. Uh, So, if you have suggestions, go ahead and throw those in. This is a pretty important brainstorming for us. Um, if you've got things that you want to see on Fridays, go ahead and throw those in there.
4: Mm, Sky Gleason. Well, and as I observed at the uh, the desert out when we were doing the Office Hour Space Launch, the different teams were great individually, but they had never worked collectively in in uh, together. And so it was interesting to get Sarge, uh, Noah Sargent and 1F Jeffs very refined group together, I very refined systems, but to work together in that last minute of a thing. So what I was observing is each of them have good choices that they have built for their systems. But um, the, how do we combine those? That's a part of the conversation, too. Uh, next question.
1: Brandon Mutrum from Indianapolis, Indiana. His topic is this, where we ask for another second hour on craft services.
2: You can always talk crafty. Alex? I think we did this once before. But, we did. But you can't do it enough. I mean, crafty is always important. So I think a talk about crafty would be good. This is, you know, remember, that's the energy engine that drives your entire crew. You know, a lot of, uh, there's a, a lot of folks talk about it. it's like You know, you might be doing a little project with your friends and, and you might not pay them you know they might be just volunteering their services but you have to feed them like especially (laughs) the one thing that people know about like doing like passion projects on the weekends or something like that is you spend more money on crafty than you do than you ever do when you're paying everyone everyone you're paying them a lot of money you're like ah here's some snacks they're coming in for free and you you like full-on cater you know because you're saving so much money to to do that make sure that they at least feel like they got a good
4: you know more than a pizza uh, next quest. Oh, sky wants to wait. You know, this guy, I've been reading some, some narratives about the British against the, uh, the, the Wars and in both of the authors reflecting back into that time, the captains just before battle would make sure the crew was fed. They would get the, they would clear the deck, oh, the time. Yeah, exactly. they would clear the deck. They would make sure that all of their, their guns are ready to fire. Then they'd feed the crew because they knew they'd need that energy. Yeah. Snacking is important. Let's move on to the next question.
1: John Snyder from Reno, Nevada. Topic idea, networking for novices.
2: Alex. Yeah, I think we can do a lot of networking. I, I think that we want to do a lot that also provides a lot of opportunities for um uh a lot of open questions people can be asking about subnets and asking about structure and asking about VLANs and having folks like Tom and other folks really answering those questions. Tom and John and many of the other folks that are really into the, into the networking really explain to us, you know, exactly how these work and why they're important. Absolutely. Tom Ferguson.
5: A fantastic place to start because it's an opportunity to say, okay, I've got this new router and I'm going to open up, up the box. But then it comes set up to sort of in a certain way, but that's probably not the good way and especially not the way that you're gonna go when you get to the internet of things and all the different devices that we use here on Office Hours.
0: Courtney? Yeah, we've done a number of uh, uh, second hours on streaming and you know uh, the advantages of, of you know sending out like YouTube and live streams and all those types of networking situations, but I'd love a second hour on networking for novices. To figure out why my local area network, I can't see half the computers that are sitting on my own network where I want to exchange files between the two sharing and that kind of stuff would be a great topic to to iron out those inconsistencies because it's I'm always perplexed. And, you know, I've been dealing with networking for years and still can't figure it
1: out. Okay, next question. Brian Shand from Sydney, Australia, pre-production core docs, run of show, call sheets, how to set them up and what information goes into them.
2: Alex. Yeah, I think that'd be really useful for us to start to kind of, we were talking about that and maybe I think i meeting with Brian, uh, that, that I, you know, how we, how we build those out and, and it's more complicated than just a series of docs. It is one of the things that we've done in the past is build a core doc system that has one doc that has all of the things and then, and then each thing, and we manage all of the, the, the pieces from there. And I think ex- explaining how that actually happens and how we auto fill from one document to another, those types of things, I think would be really useful.
4: Uh, Sky. Yes, Brian would be very helpful. He's he's built and designed these for the teams that he's been helping manage in the last couple of pro- productions that we've done. I know there's other companies that are cr- have created entire databases and systems and structures, so maybe bringing in some of those people and, and their best practices and but again, it's the wetware. It's the training, the humans, how to use it and how to read it and how to receive it. So that's, that's a part of the conversation, too. Next question.
1: John Snyder, Reno, Nevada. Topic idea, review an event through the lens of project management.
2: Alex. Oops, muted. I think this would probably lean into Monday. So this is, we're kind of stepping into where Liberty's uh, world is of, of, you know, really thinking about project management. Um, I think it's probably a, a Monday session as opposed to, I think we're going to probably stick with more logistics here. It might be talking about how to think about these things, but then how to do them is here. But I think that potentially it could go either Friday or Monday, but I would probably lean this one more towards Monday.
0: Fair enough. Next
1: question. Brian Shand of uh, from Cindy Australia is back unpacking each role including showrunner, creative director, technical director, etc.
2: Alex again a monday subject most likely like really thinking about people's roles and how they do them i think we're going to be thinking about how the technique and the mechanical processes of doing things on friday whereas talking about these how these things these roles work would probably be a monday subject
0: Courtney Yeah, a whole show figuring out what co executive producer actually does.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And if there are 32 executive producers, what does each one? I had one person demand that they get, I I don't want to just be a producer, I want to be an executive producer. And I was like, sure. Someone walked over, like, why? Like, I was like, that's the one this the one title that I never want to have as executive producer. It means that I wasn't really involved in anything, I just gave them money,
0: <laughs> right? Know, so. Yeah, sometimes the executive producer on films is somebody's uh aunt or boyfriend or whatever. That it's like, <laughs> yeah, they're kind of want to feel important toss them over there. Now, there are executive producers that work very hard and know what they're doing and, and can. Yeah, not many, but there are some. So be careful. But if you see ten people on the executive producer, you just know that maybe one of them. I would, I would rather be best boy than executive producer listed. <laughs> and that's the Hollywood system. Who knows how it works in the real world? War. Let's. Uh, oh, Courtney, you had a thought. Courtney? Okay. Oh, I just, uh, I gave my thought, but I, yeah, I usually count the executive, the, the people that have producer in their title and the credits, and if they outnumber everybody else in the crew, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, in <the> deep trouble. <laughs> All right, now let's go to the next
1: question. Matias Utila from Helsinki, Finland. Topic suggestion, working with volunteers. For example, pro bono projects or budget does not allow some roles.
2: Tips when bringing in volunteers. Alex. Yeah, I think that that's a definitely a Monday subject, but I think it's a great subject, and we should probably, I think we've talked about it in the past, but it would never hurt to talk about it again.
0: Yeah, I think when everybody's starting in their career, this is probably the single most important topic, because how do you learn if you can't do things, and how can you do things when you don't have any money? The answer is volunteers, but that makes sense that it we go on a different day. Courtney? You just got to
2: combine that with the craft service. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the deal is: week one, we're going to talk about the, the, the volunteers and talk about the importance of craft service, craft services, and uh, the second week, we'll just talk about craft services. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Next question:
1: Ronnie Hofse from Tromso, Norway, building of fly packs or mobile production racks. What should be included, and who to structure it?
2: Uh, Alex. I, I totally think that that would make a lot of sense. And I, this is exactly the kind of stuff. So really talking about the structure, what do we put into them? Uh, how do we attach everything? There's, there's a lot of different ways of putting things into server racks and, and into mobile racks and how big is the rack. And I think those, you know, just racks would probably be a good subject.
4: Sky? Is this where we all bring out our camera bag and say, this is what we have in our camera bag? I can bring out some racks. <laughs> so, yeah, so racks, go. camera
0: bags, and and the idea of how fast am I gonna need it? I've I've reconfigured things and taken them out of one kind of bag and put another just because I know that when I get on location, I need to get to that super fast. Oh, I think
2: that there's 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 probably three subjects there. There's rack, there's rack systems, there's backpack systems, there's pelican systems, you know, and they're and they mix together a little bit, but but how do you, you know, what does that look like? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I got one backpack once that had a camera. You you open the top zipper, you could pull out the DSLR, and that changed how I shoot. Just knowing that it was one action to pull it out and use it really changed my ability to get shots. So, yeah, big deal. Let's move on to the next question. Laura Thompson from Beaumont,
1: Texas. How to work with different abilities, crew, and talent?
2: Alex. Yeah, I think that um, that's an, uh, probably definitely a Monday subject as far as that that becomes kind of, a, but it's a very important subject. And so I think that um, thinking about what that second hour looks like, I think we just put that in over in that shelf, but but we should definitely cover that.
0: Yeah, uh, Laura T. mentions etiquette as well. And that uh, we've talked about that a lot, and that is critical to your survival and in getting into cruise understanding said etiquette. So next question.
1: Stefan Fischer from Würzburg, Germany. How to use infrastructure documentation properly on different levels, novice to pro. What tools are suitable for whom?
2: Alex close to a Monday subject, we might cover it on Friday, but I think that Friday, what I think we're gonna find if we say, we wanna talk about the cloud once a month, we wanna talk about IT once a month, we wanna talk about Zoom once a month, we have this kind of wildcard month, week that's left. And so I think that as we fill it up with other technical things, I think we will end up moving things like documentation and um, process possibly over to Monday to, 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 to work on that one. But I think it's a, it's a it's really important, really important subject to cover, absolutely.
1: Next question. Mike Edwards, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, morning, guys. How about a specifically training with cooking, training, setup, interactions, et cetera?
0: Yeah, I think he's talking about a cooking show kind of a breakdown, uh, how to do training, setup, interactions, and so forth. Alex, you've done
2: these. I know. I, th- I think that, um, and it's constantly changing. Um, and I think that I, I kind of feel like it almost fits into Saturday as far as You know, because one of the things we we tend to think of is we go, we're talking about education, and we get kind of either kind of caught up in either corporate training or K through twelve. But if we really think about just learning in general, I think that a um you know, cooking, a cooking, how-to-do that might make sense on a Saturday to kind of break that down. And and it may be a broader topic, like we use cooking as a as the context for it, but we're really talking about a how-to, like how am I going to show you these things? Like these little uh, cameras are revolutionary right now. The, the One of the things that, you know, being able to have these little Insta360 Insta cameras and being able to have a bunch of little PTZs that you can hook up to your computer is uh, it's pretty cool. Next question.
1: Dan Huber, Erie PA, topic suggestion. How about discussion about the run of show? How to decide on the length of a show and
0: should it, how long should it run? Courtney. Yeah, this would be an interesting topic for those that have to deal with network type shows where you have a definite time in and a time out and you have to finish exactly on time and how to manage uh, the variable length content that is fitting into that little uh, time slot so that would be an interesting show on on when to cut how to cut how to uh, put certain types of uh, things in that you can pad out to stretch
2: time or condense time Alex I think that Liberty's probably looking at that that's my show. <laughs> Like that's my show. That's probably a Monday show. Uh, to to talk about about how to design the show itself. I think that potentially either Monday or Friday we would we would talk about the tools of how to manage that whether it's ShotRunner or ShowFlow or you know there's a bunch of other um uh programs out there and, and that could probably fit into either Monday or, or or Friday but I think that the discussion about how to design the show would probably again another great suggestion for Monday and I think that hopefully Liberty's watching
4: and writing down, these are the things that we should be thinking about sky. I, I guess I misread the question I, in thinking of doing my film, originally we were going to theatrical, but now the, the way people are consuming and the way distribution is happening, maybe I'm thinking about repackaging my. Feature film into episodics into, you know, three 30 minute shows. And so that. I like I said I think I misread the question, but the the content delivery question of how long is the audience expecting the show to be? That's the other challenge I'm having,
2: Alex. And again, I think we're generating a lot of great subjects for Monday. <laughs> like so, like thinking about how to how to structure that, how to put that together. Um, I think would definitely be a Monday Monday discussion, but a great discussion to have. I think these are great ideas for Monday.
0: And it may be too narrow a focus, but I wonder if folk, uh, hosting skills, because, boy, have I had to expand my brain and learn a whole bunch of new things in coming to this, including that kind of timing.
2: Yeah, another Monday subject, but, but another
0: good one. Yeah, absolutely. Next question.
1: John Filer from Greenfield, Massachusetts. Topic suggestion, thoughts on storage platforms for internal videos and how users access them. Right now, we use YouTube with hidden videos and share links via spreadsheet or QR codes.
2: Alex. Yeah, this would be a great subject. Um, I think a company that I've worked with in the past called U Studio out of Austin, um, they, this is what they do <laughs> you know, it's, it's provide a platform for this to happen. So having them on as a guest and, and in general talking about, it, so this comes right back down to this would be a great logistical thing of where do we put all these videos and how do we make them available? And I think that that would be, you know, how, how do we, you know what is a dam and, uh, and you know, and, and what does that look like and how does that work? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, next question, Bob Sturdivan in San Antonio, Texas. Best and worst practices on preparing to pack out to go and depart from an event. How to pack the vehicles efficiently?
2: Uh, strike and load out. Big subjects, Alex. Well, and I think that a general one, and it, we could split it up into infill and exfill. But I think that the uh, you know what those look like, I think would be definitely useful because it, it is a logistical problem. You know, like you really have to think about it. And usually we start talking about our exfil hours and hours and hours, sometimes days, sometimes even months ahead of time of how we're going to get out of the facility um, once we're done, especially if there's something that's coming in right behind us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Next question.
1: Juan C. Robles from Mexico City, Mexico. How about infrastructure for a 3D VFX project?
2: Alex? I would probably go ahead and put that on Tuesday. I mean, we'd probably just make that a Tuesday subject where we're talking about how to get those things done. I don't think, I think there's enough subjects to cover on Friday that we'd probably stick, keep Friday there. But, but for I think it's a really valuable one to have. And we'd probably talk about how we manage those things um, on, a, on a Tuesday.
0: And next question.
2: Brian Shan from Sydney, Australia, with an international
1: crew, how to work with rental houses in different countries and what to look out for, radio
3: frequencies, power, et cetera. Jesse Kester. Uh, related to this topic, finding a fixer when you're going to a new country or city.
4: Mm, Sky Gleason. And, and working with pe- people from different countries. Because we're doing shows that we're, we're doing for, you know, as passion projects, we don't have the logistics of all of the paperwork of, of taxes and things like that. So I don't know if that would be uh, part of the infrastructure, or maybe that's a Monday subject.
2: Mm, Alex? Yeah, I think this we would split this in two. So if we're talking about fixers and people, we'd probably talk talking about Monday. If we're talking about radio frequencies and power, we'd be talking about Friday. So that, you know, and both of those would be great subjects to cover.
0: Next question.
1: Next question from Richard Lavery in Belfast. Editing workflows for small studios, should they stay in one ecosystem or edit in Adobe and then color and resolve? And if so, the pitfalls of moving between editing systems.
0: Alex will start us and then Courtney, Alex.
2: Yeah, I think that... I think it'd be great great to, to to talk about just general workflows. And I think that a lot of us could be talking about our own workflows and and, and then how they evolve and how we use different workflows. Because I use a different workflow depending on the project. You know, like if someone hands me a project, I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to use Final Cut for this, or I'm going to use Resolve for this, and I'm going to use, you know, those types of things. So I think that it'd be a great conversation of, of workflows and, and why.
0: Courtney?
2: I don't know. We kind of avoid talking about
0: religion and politics here, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Talking about Adobe versus
4: Sky. Yeah, I come from a long heritage of the religious wars of, of different editing, nonlinear editing systems, and also the the regional concepts of that. So I would value how learning how they're doing it in their platform. So we, with regards to editing and also delivery and the and the packaging of it. And then for the dist, you know. What is the distribution? That should be what we're all aiming at, but not always from the the whole signal path from the beginning of concept all the way through to the end. I've seen some pretty horrible 24 frame jitter because that was what the DP wanted, but it didn't end up well on the screen. So thinking about the holistic of the, of the project.
0: And as somebody who's been an editor for quite a while now, uh, the fact that everybody kind of understands that pieces of this and eventually the whole thing will might be more than likely into the cloud, Which of the directions that might happen, I I just think it's something we need to keep our eyes on as we're going forward. I don't know if it's right for this day, but there's a lot of change coming, I think, to virtualization of these skills. And we should be aware of that in office hours. Next question.
1: Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana. Checklist, checklist, and more. Checklist. Where, what, and why?
2: Alex. Yeah, I think checklists would be great. And I think that is a Friday subject. <laughs> Most of it is a Friday subject of these are the hard checklists that we're trying to work through to, you know, whether it's packing or whether it's um, testing, it is redundancy, it is pack out, it's all those things. There's lots of checklists. And I think that'd be great. Courtney Gooden? Yeah, I'm going to have to add that topic to
0: my checklist. Right now. <laughs> Jesse Kester.
3: Um, also how to keep these checklists organized with your internal team like are you using uh, the Apple notes software or, or how are you getting people to check off these checklists and to check that they've been checked?
0: Yeah, I remember it was a transitional moment in my thinking when I read that story uh, from uh, there's a gentleman named Atul Gawande, who was a medical student at Harvard Med School, and he did his commencement address on checklists and how they change surgical outcomes. And it just completely changed my thinking about the importance in everything of some rigid structured system of getting it done right. And that's what we all try to do in production. So, yeah, next question.
1: Tom Ferguson, Phoenix, Arizona. Brainstorming for improving after
2: hours would be a great topic, perhaps some Sunday. Alex? We can do that every Sunday if someone brings it up. <laughs> so, so we're totally, we, we do have meetings about after hours right now. But if someone uh, brings up uh, ideas or thoughts, Sunday, Sunday will probably always be a, um, a general you know, Q&A. But uh, you can always bring up those kinds of subjects and we can, we can take them on. Tom Ferguson.
0: Oops, Tom, you're muted.
5: Uh, I I know if someone brings something up that you'll certainly address it, Alex, I'm talking about let's actually give it a push and see if we can work together to come up with some ideas.
2: And I, th- and I think we, we have other, um, for those in the back end, we have other, or those watching, we have other uh meetings, just talking about after hours. So talk to Brandon, if you're not in that meeting and you want to be. <laughs> so if we want to come together and be part of that, uh, we have meetings that, that just talk about after hours. And so so we're, we're definitely uh, working on some of those things.
0: Next
1: question. Speaking of Brandon, here's Brandon Buttram from Indianapolis, Indiana. Topic
2: suggestion, planning for sending equipment internationally. Alex. We've talked about this in a little bit in the past, but I think that, you know, I don't think we've done a whole one on carnets, which I think I'd like to bring Boomerang or other folks in to talk about what that all means. Um, I think that'd be really useful. So we'll we'll definitely take it. But I think that, yeah, we can talk about that a couple, uh, at least once a year.
0: Courtney? Yeah, that's a topic that has a lot of pitfalls. You know, when do you ship equipment in advance and when do you travel with it as luggage? Uh, When do you use a carnet? What do you do when they don't have carnets? Respect international carnets, you know. Good topic. Okay, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael, home improvements to build a more effective studio space, absorptive ceiling panels, network wiring, etc.
2: Alex, yeah, I think it was a great subject. I mean, I think that, that that would definitely fit into what we're talking about for Friday's
4: sky. And and again, the leveling of good better best would be very helpful here because again, I'm doing a, a thing with my son building a office out of a shed and the the amount of information that's out there was overwhelming and so asking better questions of what is what is the the absolute need and what is the is it just for right now or is it for 10 years so yeah, that
2: Scott, guy, just remember it's it's all about fiber the finest gold and platinum connectors and um, and fine wool imported from New Zealand that's the I, only way you should put you should have going down the down the wall
4: at at our at our dumpling event the other night ken said yeah, I worked at Radio Shack for 15 years as a manager. And, you know, there was no difference between the Monster Cable and the ninety-five one, except for the profit margin.
0: <laughs> Did he ask you for your phone number and address? Yeah. Um, I will say, though, I wonder... Um, Particularly in terms of studio spacing, I wonder if we should do a two-parter, one about analysis, trying to figure out what is actually wrong, and then about treatment to fix that. Because I see so many people buying things because they think they need to put egg crate on the wall. So without listening or hearing anything, seeing if they have a problem, they just fix what they think you should fix to do this job. I think analysis is equally important, but just me. Next question. But, But putting foam on does fix a lot of problems. <laughs> it's the right foam. It has to cost a certain amount to be the right color.
2: Yeah, but, but it, does, it does do a
0: pretty good job. Anyway, moving on to the next question Dave
1: Troutman from Edmonton, Canada. Cameras, choices, and situations.
2: Alex? I think that that's probably a Thursday session. I think that if we're choosing cameras or choosing mics or choosing something specific, I think that those, if we have a vertical for that already. But I think that if we're choosing other things like cases and so on and so forth, it probably fit into Friday.
1: Next question. John Filer from Greenfield, Massachusetts, covering the storage and sharing of open source templates and simple media assets like Keynote Lower Third anima-
2: Animations. Alex? You know the funny thing is, I think that if we're talking about keynote lower thirds and or and or or animations using keynote in broadcast, um, I think is probably a Tuesday session, um, but de- definitely storage and sharing and management would be a Friday session. So I think that as we, and and part of this is us figuring this out. We're going to keep on becoming more defined or less defined as we go through this year, and that's why we're going to meet every quarter. Like, how are we doing? And is this really working? And what does this look like? And so, but that's that's the current thinking. Courtney. Yeah, explore the
0: idea of setting up an open source repository of created lower thirds and so on templates that would be available to everyone at no cost would be great. Next question.
1: Next question in from Josh Kaufman, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How should we think about the division between the Friday and Monday topics? Would the management of logistics be Friday versus management of people on a Monday topic? Managing the people who manage the logistics, a Monday topic? Uh, Alex?
2: Yeah, I think that managing ideas I would say managing ideas um, and marketing and uh, people, I think, is all a Monday, ide- Monday thing. Getting those ideas done um, it uh, tends to be a, a more of a Friday thing.
4: Sky. And and again, I'm just going to throw out my, my appreciation of Josh because he's realizing that if he doesn't ask this question now, he may not get the answer. So he's just been taking on the impossible uh, and making it possible in the last six months. So thank you, Josh. Next question.
1: Ronnie Hofse from Tromso, Norway, asking, uh, tools to use before, during, and after a production, whether it's graphics, rundown, timers, telestration, automation, and more.
2: Alex? Yeah, I think it's a great subject. I, mean, I think we could probably bring those to a couple different subjects, and they would all fit on Friday, <laughs> or most of them would. I think, you know, there was a great telestration that was done on um, on Saturday, last Saturday, but I think that talking about timer systems, uh, automation systems, rundown systems. Those those, I think would still be on, on a Friday. So it'd be great subjects.
0: Next question.
1: Tom Ferguson from Phoenix, Arizona. Topic suggestion, how to improve the environment for our many volunteers.
0: Uh, boy, that's, uh, you know, we do spend a lot of time uh, thinking and talking about them and appreciating them because for those of you who may be new to the show, there is a tremendous cadre of people behind the scenes who are helping make this all possible.
2: Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, mostly a Sunday subject and we have verticals that we're already talking about in meetings that aren't here. On during the week, we probably won't talk about office hours. During the, you know, Fridays, Sundays, and then in the in the individual meetings that we are now having more and more of, uh, we'll be talking about those things.
4: Sky. You said in PixelCore there were t-shirts, Alex t shirt just saying. Are we doing oh, t-shirts? t-shirts? Are important.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was. They were very uh, t-shirts. Uh, we didn't have. We had some hats, but the t-shirts were a key part of a key part of the system. We'll work on that.
0: We had little badges. OG, you know, like yeah, exactly. thousand show, whatever yeah, exactly. <laughs> awards. Uh, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael working with professionals on the autism spectrum and with
2: other neurodivergences.
0: You know, we've always been open to that, and I've had a lot of discussions about it. Alex, what are your thoughts?
2: Probably Monday subject. You know, like that, that specific thing would probably fall on Monday. Fair enough. Next
0: question.
1: Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, covering events with minimalist hardware and software. Uh, Alex?
2: Yeah, that that is definitely something that, you know, looking at how we build skeletal crews to cover something in, in you know, getting in what we would call an MVP or minimal viable product out of covering something I think would be really useful. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, probably correlated to that uh, occasionally I have to do a one man band and we don't think we've ever just addressed. What would you take out if you had to go cover something desperately just by yourself? Yep. Next question.
1: Next question in from Laura Thompson in Beaumont, Texas. How to think about
0: accessibility? Uh, Same thing. We've had this cup up before. Alex?
2: Yeah, I I definitely think accessibility. We've done this a little bit. We just did it last week on Friday. So um, I think Fridays will definitely be where we talk about accessibility. And Harshid?
7: And Fridays will be a good spot since it... It's a lot of logistical stuff that we want to talk about or break it down because accessibility is a general term that we use, but we could really go into a deeper dive into certain sections that we really want to know more about and find more value that way.
0: Next question.
1: From Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, how to find places to stay when you travel and how to protect your gear in the places you stay?
2: Ooh, Alex. Yes. And then the key is, is that you're, that you're, I'll, I'll just answer this question for you is that you need to have a, a, a Rottweiler as your, um, whatever your personal dog that you fly with, you know, just <laughs> that's, that's the one that keeps me calm is the Rottweiler. And so it's, it's your, 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 uh, your, 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 I can't, what do they call it? The service dog. Your service dog needs Side, to be yes. a full size Rottweiler. Um, and then you just leave them in the hotel room and your gear will be fine. Anyway. Yeah. But I think Fridays is good.
4: Yeah. Sky. Well, and also possibly transportation. You know, personal transportation and and getting crews from and timings and schedules is that absolutely a, a Good Friday,
2: okay? Especially when you're dealing with Rottweilers, they're big. <laughs> Space in the back you know <laughs> i gotta start renting out my neighbor's dog he's got a bully
0: and and that dog it looks massive and muscular and is the sweetest
2: animal i have ever interacted with See, travel with the perfect for the producers when you don't give us enough questions for the end of the hour we start talking about dogs we're like hey let's talk about dogs here yeah
6: anyway uh oh stefan fisher wanted to get in on this yeah, I want to extend this discussion about uh, the right time, uh, the right kind of food for the dogs, which is important <laughs> yes. as we knew. Exactly. Feed them less when when the gear is more important. and then.
2: <laughs> It comes under Creature Craft Service. service. Yes. Yes. Now we're getting to the
0: serious stuff. Next question.
1: Roscoe Jones from Madison, Indiana. Collaboration tools such as Frame.io versus LucidLink and our experiences so far using such for our Office Hours product,
2: project. Alex? Yeah, I think that those would be great. Um, I think that um, talking about those tools and the many tools that are around it with cloud production would make a lot of sense.
0: Next question.
1: Tom Ferguson from Phoenix, Arizona.
0: Fixers, what are they and how to find them? Uh, Fixers, okay. So in the general topic, uh, that's someone you find in a foreign country where you don't necessarily know the landscape or the language to help you uh, manage things. Alex, you want to talk about it more specifically?
2: yeah probably a Monday subject. you know this is really a people a people person problem um, and uh, but it, I mean they fix a lot of technical things, but I think um, understanding what fixers do and how they work, I think it, it would be a great second hour.
0: Nice. next question.
1: Next question in from Douglas Carmichael and um, working in rural areas, internet connectivity, satellite phones, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I, I used to in Arizona have to do, had a lot of shoots out in the middle of nowhere, and boy, becoming self sufficient so that you do that is an important thing, Alex. And then Courtney, Alex.
2: Yeah, I think that dealing with yeah uplinks and streaming and everything else when you're in a really r- um, rugged area. Um, I did one out of Utah that could get cell service. We had to stream from it. So so I think that talking about what those what that takes would be great, Courtney. Yeah, it could be a
0: whole topic of remote power. You know, when to bring a generator or battery power, and you know how 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 are you, how much you're going to need to power the lights and equipment you're taking. Yeah, it's a it's a, and we're doing more and more remote production because cameras are so accessible and small and interesting. Uh, let's move to the next question.
1: Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. Best free stuff you've got from vendors and trade shows. Schwag, swag. Uh, other stuff. Yes. Tchotchkes.
2: Ah, Alex, I think that might be an after after hours discussion. I don't know if we'd make a whole second hour talking about swag, but but we, well, here's the thing. I take that back. Talking about good swag is probably a Monday subject. It's it's more of a people thing of, of what you I don't know if it'd be a technical thing, but talking about the importance of swag and what's what do people keep? There are some of us here who have been to many many shows at as press as other things that have gotten a lot of swag. And, um, it would be talk would be interesting to talk about what we kept because, um, I give away or throw away like 90% of it, you know? And so, um, so what we kept, I think might be useful.
4: Sky. Well, and again, the, the creation of that swag, if you are somebody that wants to give something away for you know, a premium as the term goes, um, the shipping of that, the getting it to the location, the making sure it's it's going to be handed out on the on the site. So maybe there's a a value there. I've had to do that for you know, my own companies and and my own trade shows, you know wanting to make sure people get a coffee cup or get a hat. Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael asking disaster recovery disaster management.
0: Yeah, we've had shows on that in the past. Kenan, uh, who is one of our panelists, uh, occasionally was fabulous because he used to do that for the state. Alex?
2: Yeah, and I think that we can have disaster on on different levels, but definitely some kind of disaster or trouble management, I think we talked about a little bit earlier today, and and I think that's a great subject. Next question.
1: And it's from Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. How about a database of all the panelists and locations so that we know who to contact if you travel
6: to Würzburg? Uh, There we go. Uh, Stefan, you want to weigh in on that? You want to publish your? Yeah, I think it's just uh, worthwhile to have such information uh, because traveling is going up again. Well, one of the things about
0: uh, the Discord is that we meet a lot of our friends here, and then you can decide on an individual basis whether or not to pass along information like that. Jesse, and then John. Jesse.
3: I think related to this conversation is as office hours grows and as we move further away from uh, 2020 and the events that birthed kind of this environment – um, is is the movement to more physical interaction? It seems like there's uh, increasing demand within the community for for uh, physical in- infrastructure that we can meet up and and occasional conversations on how to how to manifest that would be useful. I believe,
0: John Credo? we have all the data. It's just a matter of of what we want to show public, and Alex can probably weigh on as as well. Uh, Alex,
2: whoops, you're muted we definitely have some conversations about giving people a map of where, you know, to do those things. And I've got some ideas of what we did with, um, uh, pixel core. I could put in a zip code and then create a type in the number of miles radius. And it would just tell me everybody in that radius, (laughs) you know, like, this is all the people. And we had it set up there where I could then say, send an email to those people. And that was, and that was just through Google maps. So, um, it's just a matter of, um, I think that what we probably would do is, is allow people to, we're talking about this in this year is to allow people to do a registry. So talking about how that actually looks like it. So people can say, I want to do that. And that's what John was talking about. But uh, talking about how that might work, but probably be after hours or Sunday if we're talking about OH specifically, talking about how to build those maps in general, it might be a Friday su- subject.
1: Next question. Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana, are comms part of the media infrastructure topic?
2: Alex. In the past, we put comms into... Audio, so um, so. I think that if we if we break it up, it could go into it could go into Wednesday or into Friday. Oftentimes, my opinion is that comms becomes a real audio problem, um, and so I think that we're I think that that's usually where we'll probably put it.
0: And our final question for the hour,
1: Paul Terry Wallace asking: Selling your
2: surplus gear, Paul, uh, Alex i'd like to figure out how to do that um i i I have a tendency to uh yeah to not 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 sell very much Um, i just keep on i I find it's how to build storage for for more things that's a whole nother second hour or how to not do that yeah
0: well thank you everybody this has been a fabulous uh look at infrastructure at, at uh brainstorming for the future and it has been I know Alex has gotten a lot of great ideas off of this. Uh, a couple of things to note. First of all, tomorrow we're doing exactly the same thing, brainstorming, but this time on education, since that's the main theme for uh The last day of the week for us, for Saturday. Um, The other thing I need to remind you of, Josh Kaufman reminded me that on Monday, an exciting show, we are going to do the Kilo Show Review. So it's going to be a look at the production behind the thousandth show. So we had a lot of people involved in that. Should be a really exciting day. So uh, be here for next Monday's show if you can. Our thanks, as always, go out to everybody. Uh, First of all, all the panelists who have helped provide such excellent answers today and helped us plan for... future shows we cannot do this without an extraordinary panel of really brilliant people and this is another one of those so thank you all um the producers who have asked the questions thank you for your help with planning the future i hope we meet your expectations as to a consistently interesting and show worthy of your time every day Uh, we're working hard to try to do that and of course last but certainly not least the behind the scenes crew who you will see on the credit roll here at the end each of whom is critical, a linchpin to getting this done and out on the Internet to you every day. So uh, our thanks go out to them every day because they need it and deserve it. Uh, Bill, I it. think
1: we I think we hit a, um, a a record here, 72
0: questions answered. I'm not sure that's wow. ever been beaten. Wow, that's so excellent. Uh, uh, Alex, you're, you're muted. Uh, did you have a comment on that? That's Too high, Mark. Yeah. Hi, Mark. Water, Hi, Watermark. Congratulations, producers. Great job of keeping everything moving. The T'Lock traversal today, we traveled 185,516 miles, which is more than 1.661 billion bananas for scale. Uh, we, we essentially, in talking to people who are in other parts of the world and getting questions from them, have managed to circumnavigate the globe 7.4 times today to go visit with people and get information from them. So... Pretty exciting thing. Thank you very much. One and all will be back tomorrow. Roll the credits.
4: Today's
7: show executive produced by Courtney Gooden. I will are my ears tired.
0: Accompanied by Mitchell. Assistant, so co-executive producer to you, Mister. Is trying to get the credits done before the top of the hour. Let's see if we make it. Another. Ah, darn! Just missed it. Craft services, John. Brother, <laughs> that was fun. Four seconds <sighs> over. <laughs>